This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wongal people and the Yagara Turrbal peoples. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Strap in. Buckle up. It's story time, folks. This is Australiana Rama. Warning, this episode includes the name of an Aboriginal person who has passed away. Um, and I'd also like to specifically acknowledge the Wikmunkan people, the Southern Kanju people and the Ayapathu people um, whose lands this episode discusses. One more brief warning. We do talk about Campbell Newman. Oh. <laughs> uh, your link is on. Yuck. Are you ready? Yeah, go on. Okay. Hello, Maddie. Hi. Uh, um, This is take two of us trying to record this episode um, because yesterday there was a tornado in Brisbane, which was rude. Yep. Like 15 minutes, 20 minutes down the road from my house. Hmm. And look, let's just say it disrupted some of our communication (laughs) methods. The, the internet was like no functioning at the level of a potato with some yeah. wires stuck in it. Absolutely. <clears throat> anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> this week, I mean, we're, we've done two about Bjorka Peterson and we're, we're staying in that era just for, you know, one more week at least. Why not? Mm. Um, but we're moving... You know, less focused in Brisbane where we're going up north. Um, so in particular, there's an area of Cape York in far north Queensland um, and the Wick people, the Southern Kanju people and the Ayapathu Aboriginal people have lived in the area for, you know, time immemorial mm-hmm. and they still do. Um, but, you know, invasion happened. Mm-hmm. There were explorers Mm-hmm. you know, quote-unquote, um, yeah. there was <laughs> a lot of cattle, it still is. Gold happened. Oh. Yeah. Um, past tense. Pardon? Past tense, not so much these days. Yes. Um, that was in the, in the 1800s. Yeah. And then there's a – so in 1884, some people called the, the Massey Brothers leased Rokeby Station. Mm-hmm. Um which is, you know, a big cattle station. And in this time and, like, in in Queensland and the Northern Territory, anywhere where you could have stockmen, there mm-hmm. would be, you know, white people being paid. Mm-hmm. And then often there'd be the original owners who want to stay on their land who maybe aren't being paid yeah, um, by and large. And so... Yeah, by the 1930s, that was pretty much the situation at this particular this st- station. Yeah, because there was, I mean, it would take a long time to go into all the different horrible things that happened, but the, the other option for a lot of people was to be moved to like a mission um, somewhere yeah, else. Right. Yeah, and so lots of people were working on these stations. And in the 70s, they did introduce equal wages for Aboriginal workers on the stations in theory but in principle it just means work disappeared for those people 
Yeah, right. Because the owners just didn't want to didn't, pay them. Didn't want to pay them. Yeah. yeah. So that's like a little bit of background, very little bit about stolen wages in Queensland, just to, you know, see where we're at. <laughs> so there was a man named John Kuata, and he's the hero of our story here. Great. Um, so he was an Aboriginal elder of the Wick people from in Cape York, and in... 1974, he and a number of other Aboriginal stockmen, you know, planned to just straight up purchase the lease of their traditional lands. They're like, all right, we're going to buy it, you know? Yeah. Um, Because it was the Archer River cattle station at that point. That's what it was called. And at that time, there was the Aboriginal Land Fund Commission who, you know, fronted the funds Mm -hmm. for that. And, yeah, so Kuata and... His associates, you know, approached the American owner to buy it, and he's like, "Yep, great, excellent." And so they just they wanted to keep using it as a cattle station, yeah, and you know, let their people live there again. And so in 1976, they entered in a con- in- entered into a contract to buy it. So far, so good, yeah. completely normal. They're not going to change the how the land's being used. Um, and the sale was then blocked by the Queensland government, chiefly Joe Bielk Peterson. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Classic, you know, classic behaviour. Yes. For yeah. old mate. Um, so the reasons given. So the minister for lands at the time said he believed, and this this is a quote. Said. Sufficient land in Queensland is already reserved and available for the use and benefit of Aboriginal people. Use a different word. That's what that's what he reckons. It's like they've got enough. Yeah, right. And Joe Bjork Peterson around this time, you know, is to camera can be seen saying this land rights business has to stop. Um, his personal belief and his legislated policy was that Aboriginal people could not buy large areas of land. Did he ever give reason for that, or that was just his belief? Um, it was literally in the in the in the policy. Um, so it was because this was in, into the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Um, but did he ever say why, or was he just like I no, don't have I don't have answer. a direct quote. He wasn't for land rights or anything at all. Yeah. Right. Strongly opposed. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just that whole kind of extremely racist mindset that it's like there are already um, you know, laws in place at this time that are mm-hmm. ostensibly for the care of Aboriginal people. But they, mm-hmm. that's so there's all these sort of different powers that they have to control where people can move around and, like, mm-hmm. you know, if people are then allowed to own big bits of land, what then? Yeah, yeah. What will be next? Mm. Um, They'll run for parliament. Yeah. And so <laughs> Bielka Peterson, like there were big, big protests for the Commonwealth Games in 1982 and, of course, earlier through the 70s. Um, and that was one of the, the sort of protests where Bielka Peterson just declared a state of emergency. Yeah, right. So they could crack down. Um, and even as late as 1987, because they, they released like cabinet notes after like 25 years or something. 
1987, he wouldn't pay award wages to Indigenous workers employed by the government. He decided not to move forward with that change, which was meant to happen. Right. So he was paying them under yep. award. Um, mm-hmm. And during the AIDS epidemic, he reportedly tried to stop Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from being screened for HIV because oh. he thought it was a punishment from God. Oh. Yeah. It's um, like It's horrible. Stuff. But fortunately, the health minister at the time, who's the one who, you know, reports that this was said to him, just opposed him and just yeah. secretly, I think, just implemented testing and a prevention campaign anyway. Because it's just like, no, we're not, yeah. we're, you're, you're wrong. Anyway. Yeah. So that's... That's Some a little of the, bit diegetic. Like that's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, this is just the, a bit of the sort of things that were happening around the time from Bjorka Peterson. So Mr. Kawata took legal action um, using the Federal Racial Discrimination Act of 1975, arguing that blocking the sale was race discrimination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was and, correct. <laughs> yes, the Queensland government um, argued unsuccessfully in the High Court that the Racial Discrimination Act was invalid, um, and the case then went to the Supreme Court. Of Literally, Queensland. how could they argue that? Like, mm. <laughs> what well, was even their argument? Because <laughs> this is the sort of that I read. I read it all, and it's very confusing. And like, there's a little, like legal jargon that I don't quite get. However. So the Racial Discrimination Act um, of 1975, this case coming up in 1982 is really the first time that it's kind of used and like tested. So there's all these little constitutional things. Yeah. um, And it's like. There's not a precedent. Yeah. And it's like, what does this mean for like external policy for like, you know, people outside of Australia versus in, and there's all these different things, like nitpicky things that they're arguing to say, you can't use that law in Queensland. It shouldn't negate ours. Right. So they're basically trying to fight it through semantics and not having there been a legal precedent before. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Uh, No, sir, I didn't murder him because that's a federal law and I'm in a state. mm. Oh, people suck. Yeah. I mean, because he tried to buy the land in 76 and that was like a year after the the Discrimination Act was enacted and then this gets to like the Supreme Court or the High Court in 1982. High Court in 1982. That's a long time. Yeah. Well, it ends up then in the Supreme Court and a decision is finally made in 1988. Oh, my gosh. In favour of Mr. Kawata. Of course, because he's allowed to buy land. Yeah. Like it's unbelievable and so recent. Um, but, yeah, so this was – it's a big deal. It's the first time it's been tested this way. And if this, like, outcome hadn't happened and if they hadn't, you know, gone through this long process, like later land rights cases, like the, the Freedom Dam thing in Tans- Tasmania – and also the Marbo case in 1992 Marbo. wouldn't have yeah. happened. They wouldn't have 
if yeah, this, this is pre-Marbo, so yeah. that wouldn't have set a precedent yet. Mm, like, no. Sometimes yeah. John Kawada is referred to as Marbo of the mainland by some people. Um, yeah, so if I guess like the, the things that in the law that, you know, were tested and then were ruled in favour of Mr Kawada just straight up being allowed to buy land if he wanted to, the same things were then used for other, you know, landmark land rights cases. Yeah, so it's a huge, huge deal and they win and that's great and that's right and that's amazing and they are going to proceed with the sale but. I sense a but. Yes. <laughs> Joe Bielka-Peterson declares that the Archer River property will become a national park so no, uh, one, no one can own it. Just out of spite. Literally is, out of spite. He's like, you know what, I've taken a turn in my politics and I suddenly believe in environmentalism over agriculture, even though my entire life that has not been the case. And I think that this should be reserved for nature. Mm. Uh, but is it, did you say that? So they're turning it, he wants to turn it into a national park. Yeah, they declare it a national park so no one can buy it. But it already was agricultural land, wasn't it? Like, because it, it was already. It was a big like cattle station. So it's already been cleared. And other it's land. not, like it's it's not it's... completely cleared. It's a big um, like tract of land and it's kind of all there's lots but of he's different. including land that's already been cleared for farming. Oh, yeah. It's just the whole area. And it's just like just kidding. Including John Kawada's like traditional lands that he wanted to buy. and Anything that he was about to buy became a national park. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's just normal behaviour. Mm-hmm. It's so, and because I had never, I didn't know anything about this, never heard of it. And it's just like they were just trying to buy land. Yes, yeah, so then what happens after that? So after this, so that's 1988, um, John Kawada unfortunately does pass away in 1991. Uh. But his family do still live in the area. Um, so this is all happened. That's in 1988 that it became a national park initially. In 2010, the Premier at the time, Anna Bly, announced that the park, a portion of the park, would be given to the Wick Munkin people as freehold land and, like, they'd rename it the national park. Um, and I saw... That's two Premiers ago. Yeah, and we're not we're not done. Um, and the the family were like they were trying to like negotiate a bit differently because it's like it was it was only a portion yeah of the land and like not the bit that's really good for cattle and all this stuff and so there's different negotiations I'm not sure specifically what the split ended up being but then in 2012 the Queensland government which is then Campbell Newman Mm. of all mm. people and in so many things when this is reported they're just like a surprising apology from Campbell Newman um yeah, right. yeah it's 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 wild because so just over 75,000 hectares of land from the larger section is you know revoked out of the national park and is then freehold land handed back 
to the WIC people. Yeah, and the wider, the National Park as a whole is then signed over to like a joint ownership for three different groups of Aboriginal people because it was across multiple people's traditional land. Um, So it's like there's a part, a section that is the freehold land that is like a part of the bit that they were initially trying to purchase and then the rest of it is jointly owned by the traditional people, the Wikmunkan, Ayapathu and Southern Kanju people. And the National Park has been renamed Oyala Thamatang National Park. Um, I apologise for pronunciation because I tried to find someone saying it, but it's quite a remote national park. They don't have an Instagram Mm. or a Facebook. There's beautiful videos on YouTube, but it's just people showing you the area. No one says any words. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that name is arrived from the many different languages spoken by the local people and it loosely translates to people of the riverlands. So it's now jointly managed by the traditional owners and the Queensland government and then there is a section that has been handed back to the WIC people. Yeah, and Campbell Newman, you know, was there to, they had, you know, the ceremony to sign it over and apologised I wonder if he needed a good PR week. Yeah, he must have. Because like not, every. Not to undermine the significance mm. of the moment. Like it's very important, but it's just so against other things that his office did that it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it very interesting. It's not like it was just like reported once as surprising apologies. Like every yeah. different news outlet seemed to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So the. There's a quote from Newman at the time. He says, the return of this land as freehold serves in part to rectify past action whereby Wickmunkin people were prevented from purchasing the land as a pastoral lease. And then he apologises, blah, blah, blah. I wonder if it was during the time that he received a bunch of criticism where people drew parallels between him and the hillbilly dictator. Probably. Because remember when Campbell Newman was trying to instigate the like you can't walk around in groups larger than x size in the city Mm. and stuff like that and everyone went whoa that's Bjorka Peterson era stuff and then maybe this was him trying to do like I can just see a policy advisor being like you need to have a good PR week here is something that is in opposition of Bjorka Peterson Mm. (laughs) to like prove a point yeah um wild yeah, so uh, that was, you know, 40 years that took from yeah, a man a trying time. to buy land and then being told, no, you can't because you are Aboriginal. Yep. One nice thing, other than that, you know, the land is finally back with the traditional people, mm-hmm. there is the, I think it's like the Australian like Law Society or something has sponsors Every year, the John Kawada Reconciliation Law Scholarship, um, which is available to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students studying law. So that's a great thing. That's available. Mm-hmm. Basically, like in a nutshell, this was the first time that this the Racial Discrimination Act was tested and it was a really long process, but it, was, it paved the way for other land rights cases. And these things are all like ongoing, you know? Mm. And I, I had never heard about about this didn't learn about it in school or anything about like land rights really yeah no me neither I wonder what it's what it's like now 
Maybe I'll have to ask some history teachers. Yeah, it would it would still vary as well, like state to state and school to school. You know, mm. like things. Yes, obviously the curriculum is the curriculum, but it would vary within that as well. You know, like I think some teachers go out of their way to maybe add things mm. to the curriculum, add perspectives, and others essentially go out of their way to do the opposite. Um, mm. And then there'd be people who just yeah. don't know how to talk about it. I don't even know that it's a thing to talk about. Exactly. Because they've learnt it from their teachers or not learnt it from their teachers, I guess. Um, mm. Yeah. Oh, whichever state you're in, like if you are looking at like the national parks in general, they all seem to have like pretty good websites that often have, you know, all the fun facts about the nature but then also about like the history and culture of the land. A lot of them are like quite good. So if you are interested, if you know nothing about your local national park except, hey, that has a traditional name then mm. you can learn some learn some things. A lot of crocodiles in this particular national park. Yeah, northern Queensland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Far north. Um, so my sources for this were ABC, SBS Living Black, Anti-Discrimination Commission Queensland and the Queensland Department of Environment and Science. All right, well, next week we're going to leave, leave this era alone for a little bit. Is that correct, Maddie? It's Maddie's turn. <laughs> yes. We are heading out to the Min Min Highway to learn about the Min Min Lights, oh. which are a natural slash supernatural light phenomenon occurring out in out, the outback. There's lots of spooky stories, a spooky time. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, mm. and I've recently been out there, so I have anecdotes from <sighs> Real witnesses, baby. Field research. I did. I legit, I went to a museum. I took photos of things. I spoke to people. (laughs) Wow. That's, you know, that's above and beyond. It is. Thank you. (laughs) Um, As always, follow us on Instagram at Australianorama. Chuck us a nice email to Australianorama at gmail.com. Only nice emails. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Cute. Bye. Bye.